Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. You know, we're in a new sermon series. Uh, well, we've been in it for three weeks now, um, but it still feels kind of new. Uh, we're, in, we're in week four, uh, and, and I just wanted to walk us real quickly through the previous three weeks. A little refresher uh, is always good. So in week one, we looked at the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter three, and, and really it was a, a wake-up call, a wake-up call to a church that was asleep, uh, a church that was ineffective. They were neither hot nor cold. They had simply become lukewarm. And we believe, we believe that the church, uh, this church, the church, capital C, big church, universal, uh, has a purpose in this world, has a role to play to shine for Christ and to impact the world. And so the wake-up call is for us as well. Uh, Week two was an encouragement to discover your sweet spot, uh, to really dive in and, and ask, you know, how has God gifted me? God has given every believer a gift to, to minister to, to serve others, to build his kingdom. Uh, and we were encouraged to stir up that gift uh, in such a way that it makes us, uh, I think in Wes's words, tastier uh, to the world. And we believe that God uniquely designs and equips people. We believe that. We, we see it around us, everywhere. We look at someone and we say, She's so good at what she does. Or we look at another and we say, golly, he he can fix anything. And we see how they're able to use those gifts, those talents uh, in the kingdom. Week three was an exhortation to put that gift to work. And understanding that no one plays a small part in the kingdom because there are no small parts. That every part is essential And every part is essential because when one part is not working as it should, then the body is not functioning as it should. So we need to be all in for Christ. We need to be all in in terms of using our gifts, using our talents, the unique ways that God has designed and equipped us to participate in what he's doing in the world. And let's just assume for a minute that you know what that is that you know what that is for you. It may be a deep concern for the poor. It may be a burden for children who are in foster care because of issues and problems in their family. It may be a passion to teach children. It may be to be a great business person who who points people to Jesus and, and enables them to find their gift and their talent to build the kingdom as well. So, so we believe these things, but the question is, why, why wouldn't we jump in? Why wouldn't we step in and, and step out into something other than a common life? What is it that keeps us from stepping into things that we wonder that maybe, just maybe, God is putting right in front of us for just a time like this. Well, this week we're going to take a glimpse into the life of David. Now, David was an individual who lived about a thousand years before Jesus. 
Uh, so we're talking Old Testament times in terms of the way that the Bible is structured. Now, if you've, if you've been around church for a while, uh, you know that David is a pretty famous person. Uh, he eventually became the king of Israel. He, he conquered foes and, and opposing armies. He, he went on to write parts of the Bible. And that can be a little intimidating for us as, as we think, well, what, what would I have in common with David? Uh, but today, uh, we're not looking at famous David. Uh, we're not looking at King David. Uh, we're not looking at, as slain his ten thousands, David. Today, we're looking at sheep herder David. Today, we're looking at delivery boy, David. Today, we're looking at, well, I do have one more son, but surely you don't mean him, David. That's the David that we're going to look at in 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. So feel free to open your Bibles, open your apps, whatever it is that you may use to follow along. We use version here, which will guide you nicely through the message. Um, but to set up our story a little bit, David was the youngest of eight brothers. You can kind of picture in your head what that would have looked like for David. Uh, he, he was tasked with keeping the family's sheep, not the most honorable, not the most enviable position, probably a position that fell to the youngest who was able. And at this point in time, the youngest who is able is, is David. And when we join the story, David's three oldest brothers have followed the king of Israel, King Saul, into battle. And, and they are facing off against the Philistines, the arch enemies of Israel. I believe we have a map um, this morning, possibly, but then again, possibly not. Picture what you know a map to look like. Yeah, so often maps are rectangular in shape. In the top right corner, you're going to see Jerusalem and Bethlehem, where David lived. A little lower to the left, which would be southwest in map terms, uh, you're going to see this valley. Uh, and this valley is where the, the troops of the Philistines and the armies of Israel have gathered. And as you picture this valley, you might picture a valley here in the state of Arizona where, where there's foothills on one side and, and foothills on another. And on each of these sets of foothills, an army is encamped. Uh, and as we join the story, a, a champion from the Philistines has come on the scene. Uh, his name is Goliath. Uh, he was the warrior of warriors among the Philistines. The description that we see in 1 Samuel 17 informs us that Goliath was about nine feet, nine inches tall. Uh, so imagine about half of me again, and probably this direction uh, as well. Uh, he was nine feet, nine inches tall. Uh, he was armored, covered in armor, some of it bronze, from head to toe. From the top of his head to the bottoms of his feet, he was covered in armor that weighed approximately 175 pounds. Imagine the mountain of a man that would be required to move that much armor. Uh, and he had a spear slung across his back. Uh, the spear 
Uh, it didn't have a stick on it. It had what was described as a weaver's beam, uh, and the head on it weighed 15 pounds. To put that into context, typical sledgehammer head is about 10 pounds. Uh, so a massive instrument of war. So we pick up our story in 1 Samuel 17, verses 8 through 11, with Goliath uh, on the scene. And it says, speaking of Goliath, it says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come to draw out for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Then choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now when Saul and all the men of Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Goliath is intimidating. Goliath is taunting. And the taunts continue for 40 mornings and 40 evenings. And then David enters the story uh, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 17, we read, And Jesse, David's father, said to David, his son, Delivery boy, David. He says, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses, mm, cheese, uh, to the commander of their thousand and see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, that's sheep herder David, and took the provisions and went as delivery boy David, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting, the war cry, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army, and David left his things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks of the Israelites and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out, up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the approach from, reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. David 
arrives on the scene. David sees the problem, begins to ask some important questions. And as we're going to see, David knew what to do. David knew what needed to be done. But before he could do it, the naysayers showed up. The first was his older brother. I know for any of you that had an older brother, it would be hard to imagine a naysaying older brother. But David, in fact, had a rare example of this in his life. In verse 28, we see, it says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, when, when David inquired about what would be done for the man who killed this giant. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why are, What are you doing here? Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David, like most little brothers, said, what have I done now? Wasn't not just a word? Did I not just ask a question? And he turned from his brother. What? His brother says, what, what are you good for? You, you don't belong here. The only thing you're good for is for keeping a few sheep in the wilderness, something that no one else wants to do. And then he goes on to question David's motives. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, there's almost nothing worse than having my motives questioned. I mean, question the quality of my work. Question my effort. But when you question my heart, when you question the motives behind my work, it's a different thing. It's a painful, hurtful thing. Well, if older brother insults and questions weren't enough. The next naysayer is the king himself. You see, um, word had spread. It was probably the first time in a long time, maybe 40 days, that anybody had shown any interest in what would be done for someone willing to fight Goliath. And, and word of this question from David spreads. It, it spreads all the way to the king himself. And so King Saul, king of Israel, sends for David and it says, And David said to Saul, in verse 32, Let no man's heart fail because of this giant. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Saul says, you're, you're not able. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. Uh, this guy's been doing this for longer than you've been alive. You know, it's not uncommon when we endeavor to do something new that we may hear something like what David heard. 
You have no experience. You see, we've got this other guy that has all kinds of experience. Or, or you may think to yourself, why would God have me do fill in your blank? Why would God have me do that? When there's so many other people more qualified than I to do this task, who, who would likely do it better than I could. You know, sometimes we don't need an older brother or a king to be our naysayer. Sometimes we are our own biggest naysayer. But don't naysay the gift of God in you. Don't naysay the ways that God has woven you and designed you uniquely. You see, here's, here's the thing. There were many soldiers of Israel there that day. There all of those 40 days. A lot of soldiers with a lot of experience. Soldiers who, like Goliath, had been warriors from their youth. They were experienced. They were experts. They were expected to go to battle and to fight. But they didn't. On paper, they looked great. But the reality was they lacked some things that David possessed. I see, you see, David had the vision. Uh, David saw the problem. He knew what needed to be done and why it needed to be done. David had the faith. He believed that what needed to be done could be done. David had the will to carry it out. And he also had the anointing of God for this time and for this place. You see, sometimes having the right person at the right time makes all the difference in the world. Uh, there's a story about Henry Ford and a gentleman by the name of Charlie Steinmetz. You see, Steinmetz worked for GE back in the 20s, and he designed the generators that powered Henry Ford's first assembly lines in Dearborn, Michigan. Sometime after he retired, the generators stalled out, bringing the entire plant to a grinding halt. Henry Ford's engineers couldn't figure out the problem, so Henry called his old friend Charlie and asked if he would come take a look. Steinmetz fiddled with this gauge and jiggled that lever, tried this button, played with a few wires, and after a few hours, he threw the master switch. The motors kicked on and the system returned to normal. About a week later, Henry Ford received a bill in the mail that he found just a little bit excessive. It was for $10,000. So he wrote a note to his friend Charlie. He said, uh, you know, it seems awfully steep, this $10,000 for a man who just tapped a couple of gauges, jiggled some levers, wiggled some wires. Uh, 
and just tinkered around with a few motors. Steinmetz received his letter and wrote a new bill and sent it back to Mr. Ford. Henry, uh, for tinkering around with motors, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Eliab, David's brother, misjudged him. King Saul misjudged him as well. And truth be told, had, had we been one of the men of Israel there that day, we likely would have misjudged David as well. You know, we get impressed by all the wrong things sometimes. In just the chapter before this, 1 Samuel chapter 16, in verse 7, reminds us of an important truth. Uh, the Lord, in speaking to his prophet Samuel, reminds him that the Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord sees the heart. The Lord sees the unseen. And in many cases, the unseeable. Things that are unseeable often to the person in whom they reside as well. Unseeable things waiting to be discovered, waiting to be unleashed. Well, often we have clues about what resides within. And David had some of those clues. He shares them with Saul after being told that there's no way he can go to battle with this giant. David says to Saul, your servant, notice his humility, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, and I struck him, and I delivered that lamb out of his mouth. And if he dared to rise against me, I, I caught him by his beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Was David keeping the sheep for training to be a bear killer? Was David keeping the sheep for training to be a lion killer? Ultimately, David was keeping the sheep David was doing what he did and encountering the things he encountered for the ultimate preparation, which was to trust God in all things, which is revealed to us in verse 37 when David says, The Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. You know, David eventually killed Goliath. He didn't do it dressed in the armor of the king of Israel, though that was offered. He didn't do it in the likeness of anyone else. 
he went to battle with Goliath as himself, as a sheep herder, with a sling and a stone facing a giant. When David looked at God, he saw a giant killer. And when God looked at David in this moment, he saw his giant killer. What does God see in you? What is the unseeable? That gift, that talent, that passion, that desire that resides within and is waiting to become seeable and seen. You know, I've, I've known some giant killers in my day. For me, a giant killer is someone who's willing to step into where the Lord is leading them. When they feel unqualified to do so. I know a giant killer named Jeff. When kids stuff ended here at North Bible Church, uh, and he was a part of it, uh, he decided to step in to a new role as a storyteller, as a Bible teacher. He'll tell you, if you ask him, that he's not qualified. That, that there's people who could do what he's doing better than he does it. But I hear regularly in our staff meetings what a blessing he is. Uh, that he's touching the lives of the kids that he teaches. And we see his life changing as well. He's stepping in to the gift of God. And he's stepping out. The gift is being put to work. You know, another, I know another giant killer named John. When I met John, he was a kindergarten teacher. Uh, he taught kindergarten for over 20 years in the Tucson area. And when he retired, he decided to start a ministry uh, to veterans who were suffering with PTSD. It started out okay. It was rough getting this ministry off the ground and figure out where God was leading him. And then, after some time, God led him somewhere that he would have never pictured himself going. The kindergartner, the kindergarten teacher, who was used to, be, who used to being surrounded by five-year-olds, now finds himself ministering to men in the maximum security federal prison in Tucson. Leading Bible studies for incarcerated veterans. Incarcerated veterans who are suffering from PTSD early in their lives that made them the people that they became. And coming to grips with and dealing with the trauma that they've inflicted on others. God is on the move. You should hear him tell the stories. And you should see him come alive when he does. And why is it happening? Because he was willing to step in and step out, even somewhere that he never pictured himself 
going. Never pictured himself being. You know, Xavier, who I mentioned earlier, is in India doing the same thing. A soccer player who is using sport as an outreach in a country where sharing the gospel is being shut down more and more. But in boldness and in faith, he continues to share with young boys and young girls in the slums, giving them an opportunity to hear about a God who loves him, who loves them, bringing hope to a hopeless place, living an uncommon life, stepping into the gift, stepping into what God has for him. So, so why should we step in? Why do we step out? Why did David? I mean, he could have saved his own skin and gone back to herding sheep where all he had to do was fight lions and bears. Oh my. Well, David tells us, uh, it's actually in his address to the Philistine when they square up for battle. In verse 46, David says, This day, Goliath, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, that all the earth may know. Why is he doing it? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that this assembly, all these men who were fearful to step into battle, they're going to know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. Why did David step in? Well, it wasn't so that all would know that he was the greatest warrior in Israel. It wasn't so that he could prove something to his brothers who doubted and questioned him. David stepped in to preserve God's honor, to lift God's glory. And we should step in and step out for the same reasons. Not for our glory or our name or our satisfaction or or where we want our career to take us, but for God's name for God's glory, that others may see him as he really is and know him for who he really is. Max Lucado in his book, The Uncommon Life, tells a story which I'm going to share with you today. It's from his childhood. He says, tucked away in the cedar chest of my memory is the image of a robust and rather rotund children's Bible class teacher in a small West Texas church. She smelled like my mom's makeup and smiled like a kid on Christmas when she saw us coming to her class. Hugs as we entered and hugs as we left. She knew all of us by name and made class so fun we'd rather miss the ice cream truck than Sunday school. Here's why I tell you about her, he writes. She enjoyed giving each of us a can of crayons and a sketch of Jesus torn 
from a coloring book. We each had our own can, mind you, reassigned from cupboard duty to classroom. What held peaches or spinach now held a dozen or so Crayolas. Take the crayons I gave you, she would say, and color Jesus. And so we would. We didn't illustrate pictures of ourselves. We colored the Son of God. We didn't pirate crayons from other cans. We used what she gave us. This was the fun of it. Do the best you can with the can you get. No blue sky, no blue for the sky, make it purple. If Jesus' hair is blonde instead of brown, the teacher won't mind. She loaded the can. She taught us to paint Jesus with our own colors. And God made us to do likewise. He loaded the can. He made you unique. But knowing what he gave you is not enough. You need to understand why he gave it. He gave it so that you could illustrate Christ. So that you can make a big deal out of him. Beautify his face. Adorn his image. Color Christ with the crayons that God gave you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the way you have uniquely designed and knit together each person in this room. Lord, some of us get to color you in our careers. Others get to color you outside of those careers by pursuing our passions, pursuing ministry and service to others. But Lord, we know that you've placed a gift inside each heart in this room. Uh, give us faith to discover, faith to search, and then give us the faith to step out and to step in. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.